Well, again, if you have your Bibles, we encourage you to turn to the last chapter of the book of Acts. Yes, we are finishing the book of Acts, and trust that this has been a, at least a reminder for all of us of what we are about as a church and as followers of Jesus. That's page 937, chapter 28, is what you can look for there. As you turn there, I just find myself thinking with this weather, the, the seasons are about to change, aren't they? Isn't it kind of fun to see? Even though it's been a mild, a mild winter and we know we're still in winter, aren't you looking forward to spring? And, and you, yes, you might, we might get that cold blitz. You know, here's the fear. <laughs> you know, March comes in like a what? Like a lion, goes out like a lamb, whatever. It's a lamb right now, but hey, that lion might be coming. But isn't it fun to be thinking about spring coming, that new season that we look forward to? You know, poets and writers, they, they talk a lot about, about seasons of life that we all go through. And in a real sense, they're showing us we're all on a journey, aren't we? A journey of life that will have some unknown and unforeseeable things that we're going to have to face. Some good things and some not so good things in the different seasons of life that we're going to face. That's a good pausing question for you right now. How, how's your journey going? What keeps you going as you go through life and you face different things? How's the journey going? What keeps you focused? You know, everyone, everyone born on this planet will face the same journey and the same seasons of life, but they'll also face the same ending, won't they? There are daily journeys we all face along with lifelong things that we not only pursue, but we have to face. Whether it's that job you just landed or that flat tire that awaited you in the morning or, or that phone call you received from a friend you haven't talked to for a long time or, or the loved one who passed from this life all too quickly. Let's face it. We have to face life whether we want to or not, don't we? And that's precisely what we see Paul doing throughout his life. And it's a good picture for us as a church as well as individual followers of Jesus. So let's, let's look at this section and giving you the context. I'm going to be reading a, a great portion of this chapter um, because I want you to get the context. Chapter 27, where we looked at last week, if you remember, this is where Paul was on that ship and they had this incredible storm. They all knew they were going to die, but they didn't. And now we're following up with them landing on an island. How did they make it? What happened in this next season for them? So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 just to give you that context and then drop down to, to verse 17 where Paul is actually finally in Rome in jail. So here now the word of the Lord, verses 1 through 6 and 17 through the end of the chapter. And if you have your Bibles, please follow with me because I want you to get it. <laughs> After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks to put on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. 
Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. So Paul is at his final end of his journey from what we see here. He's ending up in prison. (laughs) Nice way to finish, right? Paul's life, I think, like the Christian church, really is on a journey. And that that journey, it really ultimately, it's all about the kingdom of God, which never ends. Think about it. This, This is not a smooth ending for the Apostle Paul. But his focus, if you see, his focus was not primarily on what was going wrong or right in his life but instead understanding where God was in his life and where he was going. My life is not just about what's in front of me. It's about the God who is with me and where he's taking me in this journey. You know, as Christians, you, really, you and I really can't wrestle with one, with one without the other. The, the, prob, the presence of problems or blessings really should cause us to reflect as well as to react. 
You're dealing, many of us, with what's in front of me today. i got to deal with what's in front of me. But we also, as Christians, have to reflect on what's going on. As we look now at part two of Paul's journey, I want to look more closely at the immediate as well as the long-lasting view that he had. Yes, we all have different seasons at different times. But as professing Christians, you and I have the same theme, don't we? And that theme, that theme is simply this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What's the filter of life? Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the Lord. So as we look at this passage, I want to look at his final journey as a picture for all of us to see two things. I want us to see how to see life daily and how to see life eternally. Those are both uh, parts of a two-sided coin here. You and I as Christians have to know how to see life daily, but we also have to see it eternally, the big picture as well. How do we live day to day? But at the same time, how do we have a big picture in mind of the kingdom of God? I want you to see that. This is what Paul was teaching us throughout his life, but especially in this last incident at the end of his journey. You know, much of the world, I think, much of the world, and sadly, even in the church, lives from crisis to crisis rather than faith to faith. And by that, I mean, you know, you and I tend to focus on what is before us today and and what could go wrong rather than resting on the promises of God. There seems to be this unspoken mentality that I need to get over what's in front of me first. That's the priority. I've got to deal with this in my face first. And then when that stability is there, then I can can try to understand how to incorporate God in my life. But I've got to get over this, and then I'll, I'll figure out how God fits in. But this thing's in my face today, and I've got to deal with that. That's not faith to faith. That's crisis to crisis. That's not who we are as Christians. The kingdom of God is not something you simply look forward to in the future. But the kingdom of God is the reality you live in day to day, season to season. So I want us to see that in Paul's life. So let's look now at how that very principle is reflected in Paul's life and and in his ministry in this final season. And let's start right at the beginning, verse 1. What does Luke record? We were brought safely through. (laughs) They came off that boat and they were brought safely through. Think about it. They made it. (laughs) If you remember that story last week, an unbelievable storm. Don't forget what they had just been through. A seemingly endless, frightening, threatening journey on a prison ship that literally fell apart. And they had to swim for their lives. This was nuts. This was crazy. This was the, we're going to die. They didn't. They made it. We were brought safely through to shore. They were soaked to the bone and washed up on a beach with strange natives, not knowing if this is how they would end their journey. Would they die this way? You You can almost... Can you almost feel the emotional and physical relief of everyone who had gathered around that fire 
As Luke records, it was once again raining and cold. So they got out of the water. They just drug themselves up on the beach. Here's these natives building a fire for them, but it's still raining and it's cold. Have you ever been out in the rain and the cold, wet? Wouldn't you like to be comforted? These strangers built the fire to bring comfort and warmth to them. So they clearly were not a threat to them. That long, arduous, and stormy season was now behind them, and they could get on with the next season. And then it bit him. (laughs) Did you see that? It bit him. (laughs) We got off the ship. We're alive. We made it. We're standing around the warmth of the fire. This is wonderful. This apostle who had taken on the burden of spiritually and practically providing for these people on the ship, he was now dealing with another crisis, wasn't he? All he was trying to do was to help add fuel to the fire, to bring warmth and comfort. I think it's one of those freeze-the-camera moments. If you were filming this, the camera would come right in on Paul and right in on his hand. What's going on? Freeze the camera. Freeze that A viper, a poisonous snake was hanging off the hand of Paul. I, I don't know what Paul was thinking at that moment. But I know what I would probably be thinking. <laughs> I would be saying something like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I come all this way and I survive a threatening experience to have this happen. <laughs> I'm just trying to feed the fire. Why is this snake biting me, this poisonous snake? We don't know what others were thinking, but we do what the natives were thinking. See what, on verse 4, see what they said. Native people saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said, no doubt, this man is a murderer. (laughs) Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Wow, there must be something wrong with you. You just tried to innocently feed the fire, and a snake, a poisonous snake, bit your arm. You are an evil man. There's something wrong with you. You know, their philosophy was simply this, that the equation is this. When something bad happens to us, it's usually because we did something bad, right? (laughs) The reason something goes wrong in your life, you did something wrong. So, Paul, the reason that stakes on you, what did you do to deserve this? John Calvin, the famous uh, Reformed theologian in the 16th century, explains it this way. He says this, quote, Deeply rooted in the minds of all men and women is that calamity and adversity are testimonies of signs of wrath and just vengeance against sins. In other words, you get what you deserve. When things go wrong, it's because you did something wrong. But friends, look no further than the person of Job. Many of you are familiar with that story. What happened to Job and his friends? What was the counsel his friends tried to help him with as he was facing this severe crisis? What was their message? Their message simply was this. It is clear, Job, there must have been something you have done against God to merit this kind of suffering. What have you done 
to make God bring this to you. And if you're familiar with that story, it goes on and on and on until the end when God confronts all of them. And in the end of the story, God actually rebukes Job's friends. Basically, he says, you guys shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. And if Job doesn't pray for you, you got a serious crisis coming in your life. You don't understand who I am, and you don't understand the life that we are living. The point is this. Biblically, listen, there is no such absolute equation. The effects of sin are always around us, not only in every season of life, but in every day of life, like the coronavirus. What did we do to deserve this? It's living in a sinful, broken world. One author says it this way, bad things don't always happen because we are bad. Everything in all of creation is affected by sin. Yet, would you look again at how Paul handled yet another daily crisis? He dealt with it practically, didn't he? By throwing the snake in the fire. But spiritually, hear me, it was second nature for Paul to trust even his life and the outcome to the Lord. I seek the Lord every day of my life, every crisis of my life. My God is with me. Be still, my soul. Be still, even with this snake hanging off me. My God is in control. And he shakes that snake off. The natives were convinced he was a God because he didn't die. But Paul shook off that ignorance as quickly as he did the snake. I am not God. I am one who trusts in Almighty God in every season of my life. So, friends, as important as it is to know how to handle the daily and seasonal challenges that come to us, I'm suggesting it's also important to have a kingdom of God focus like our Savior who saw everything in preparation for eternal life. What's the big picture of life for you? The daily challenges You've got to see that it's trusting God in the midst of them. What carries us through all of life for eternity? I believe we see the big picture modeled for us in Paul's final journey. He, like us, had different seasons, but there was a common theme in every season that affected how he saw and faced everything he did. And we see that. Paul, having made his final journey to this jail in Rome, that the big picture of the kingdom of God would become the common theme for Paul. According to Paul, you could not understand the kingdom of God without knowing Jesus. The implication was pretty clear. Paul wanted to not only tell people, but to show them his hope and how he lived his life. That's a good place to pause for us as well. When you live your life daily and in every season of your life, what do people see as your hope in how you live your life daily and seasonally? People can read you. What's your hope? What do people understand about what motivates you in life? That will come out every day and every season of our lives. 
But let's also not forget how God was sovereignly working in Paul's situation so he could testify to King Jesus and the kingdom of God. Most commentators believe that Paul's situation in the jail he was in was what we would be known as a minimum security situation. He was in prison, but with very uh, loose kind of ends for him. It wasn't a confinement. And some commentators suggest, it's really interesting, they suggest that the reason he was in a limited minimum security was because of that centurion. Remember that centurion on the boat? That when that centurion brought Paul to Rome, the centurion perhaps let the officials know, Paul is a man of integrity. <laughs> this guy is, he's worth trusting. He's a nice guy. He's not a flight risk. This guy's going to be true to his word. Having that situation for Paul as in a minimum security would now allow him to have visitors and to have a more public exposure to whomever he wanted. Think about it. So from his jail, he would have a large crowd of Jews to hear him. And historians believe that there was a large Jewish settlement in Rome at this time. And as we read, they, they had not heard about the charges that were brought against Paul. Look at what could have been one of Paul's last opportunities to explain what his life was all about. His big picture. Look again at verse 23. When they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. Friends, I think we see in this verse the things that were critical to the filter of life for the Apostle Paul. What was so important for Paul that was reflected in, in that verse? I would suggest there were three things that were right in the face of us to see. What was critical was the word of God. Paul saw that as the basis of how he explained everything and what he, why do I believe this? The Bible, the word of God is my life, Paul was saying. That's the filter of life for me. And he used it as an authority to convince others about Jesus. In addition he believed in the kingdom of God, which meant there was another kingdom besides the earth, this earth, which was his true citizenship. And finally, finally, his filter was this. It all culminates in the person and work of Jesus. Think about it. The word of God, the, the kingdom of God made absolutely no sense without Jesus. And I, I think the final verses we read in this passage, the end of this chapter, I think they're a beautiful epitaph for who Paul was and for who he lived. So as you and I think about this, as you think about seasons of your life and the day-to-day -day experiences of your life, what's the filter of life? My fellow journeymen, you are all are on a journey, whether you like it or not. You are on a journey. What's your filter of life that gets you through today and the rest of your life? Whether you know it or not, believe it or not, there really is a bottom line for all of us that helps us understand both the blessings and challenges. You have a filter that you are processing life through. There are things that are important to you that you process everything, the crises, the blessings, 
and the end of life. All of us have that. I've been struck by that recently. I've been reading again letters of my father. (laughs) My father um, served in World War II, and he was an infantryman in the Philippines. If you know anything about uh, World War II, that was one of the most intense, uh, painful, highest death counts of the battle in World War II, the Philippine Islands. I've been reading his letters again. There's over 100 letters that he wrote to my mom. Now, both my parents are deceased. This is the last rich memory of my dad, what he was like. And I had a picture of seeing what was it like for a young man to be in, in service, but in battle. And the more I've studied the Battle of the Philippines, the more overwhelmed I am about what my father went through. He was stationed in those islands, and I'm realizing more clearly how frightening, how intense that journey was. My dad saw death every day. He saw the effects of war all around him. What kept him going? Dad, why did you, what kept you going in that crazy world where your buddies are dying, you're killing strangers? You saw death in a way that very few had. And, and although I don't think he really at that time was a Christian, he came to the Lord later in life. In his letters, he would even talk about praying to God and, and being angry about what he saw. But do you know what the common theme of all his letters was that kept my father going? How did dad process the day-to-day? How did he process all of life? The beginning and the ending of every letter, he wrote a lot of letters. My mother's name was Lillian. He called her Lil. This was the theme that kept coming out of every letter. I love you, Lil, and I'm living to see you again. Yes, I'm fighting this war, but I'm fighting it for you, Lil. I want to see you again. I love you. I miss you. I hate what I'm seeing. I hate what I'm going through. But Lil, I can't wait to see you. That's why I'm staying alive. That's why I'm going every day and all of this crazy world, this crazy war. Every letter that I read seemed to explode with his heart yearning and agonizing to see her again. Think about this. They had been married less than a year before he was drafted. And he wanted that life and that love back again. He never saw her for three and a half years. All he saw was death. Dad, how did you hang in there? Lil, I want to see you again. It's only been a year. I want to be married to you again. But you know, the sad part is this, that war, the effects of that war on him and the sin in my parents' own lives damaged that filter. I grew up watching people surviving rather than thriving. Where was that filter at home? Why did my parents do this and not this? Why was that filter that was so incredible to him not able to sustain what they were dealing with day to day? Friends, there is ultimately no hope apart from the Lord. Yeah, that was my father, but then then there was Jesus, right? He lived a life of daily struggles, 
and, tri- and threats beginning at his birth and culminating in his death on the cross. What kept him going? Not merely to survive, but to live confidently in this broken world. Jesus was a living testimony of what it meant to live for and in the kingdom of God. The filter of life for him was the glory of God, the word of God, and the will of God. Friends, listen to what he wrote in his letters. Listen to what Jesus said about what was important to life for him. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Oh, friends, do you see that we need a filter that will last forever? And the only filter is the work of God through his son. So, friends, let his love be your love. Let his filter be your filter. And ask God to again be your filter in every season of life, every day of life. And may Jesus Christ be praised in your life. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we do confess to you. It is so easy to look only to what is before us and think this is ultimately what life is about. But Jesus, you have shown us that there is hope in you. There is a filter that can never be taken away, that will sustain. It's the filter of the kingdom of Almighty God that has been given to us by the death and resurrection of your Son. Help us as followers of Jesus today, tomorrow, to see with his eyes, to love with his love, and to live in his power. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.